0: Please turn with me to the uh, book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we will pick back up where we left off. The the attempt was there to finish all of chapter 5, but only 11 verses we were able to get through last week, and so the goal is to finish up chapter 5 today, so uh, certainly follow along as we uh, seek the Lord here and what he has for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we'll take verses 12 through 21. The message today is not part two from last week, actually, a very much more focused here on 12 through 21 on the ministry of reconciliation. <clears throat> and you will see that come to light as we go through here. Now, if you remember, in the beginning of chapter 5, uh, Paul started in his letter here. Um, what really motivated him to be faithful in the ministry. And he was writing to the believers in Corinth about what he was really sharing from his heart, the things that were going on. Because if you remember there was many um, uh, Judaizer religious leaders uh, and others who were coming against Paul and his ministry and they were trying to discredit him and really Question his apostleship and question who is his motives and question what his purpose is and how can this be and the way things are working out. Look at this man. What, is he, what does he have to offer based on the outward appearance versus what his heart was on the inward? And we will see he'll continue in that same theme here in the remaining of the part of the letter here or what we refer to as uh, chapter 5. But we saw a few things in the beginning of chapter 5. The motivation that Paul, what, because we have to ask the question, how does this man get uh, beaten almost to death and, and shipwrecked? And he and goes on a litany of things and persecution and hatred and, and dissension outside the church, inside the church. What keeps a person going out there day after day serving his Lord and serving others? What drives someone to do that? It's not one of those self-motivation, self-talk moments, because try that for so long. But Paul outlined a few things right in the very beginning. I recap a little bit for you here, and you can kind of follow along. In verses 1 and 2, he said that the fact that your body is just an earthly tent. This body that you have is just earthly. It's temporary. It is not for eternity. It's only for the purpose and design for where you are right now, and you're just pilgrims here on this earth. It's you're just passing through. So don't put too much of your roots deep within and don't start pouring the pillars and the cement pillars to think that you're going to be, your life is going to be the way it is the rest of the way you've designed it. I know you have a custom home built in your own mind. But when you sit there and have a mindset that you're going to build your life the way you want it and however you want it, wherever you want it, you are going to be very sadly mistaken because that is not how God works. God says, you're, it's just a tent, it's temporary, but the promise that Paul was holding on to is a future hope. He says in verse 1 and 2, the fact that it's, yes, it's an earthly tent, it's temporary, but I am going to build a new house, a, an eternal body, a body I'm going to, when you're absent from this body, you'll be in the presence of the Lord, and you will be given a new body that is designed for eternity. So, Paul was holding on. What motivated him day by day, getting up every morning, was a future hope that this body of his was going to be replaced with an eternal body that God designed. If you see in the scripture, no human hands touched it. Only God designed that eternal body for you. Here in this place, people want to credit all the time. What plastic surgeon did you use? It's perfect. Can I go to that person? What, did you, what makeup did you use? What what, what foundation does you use? Where did you work out? And how much have you been working out to get the body that you've gotten? See, people can take credit for the earthly tent. But God says, oh, no. The house that I have for you is only going to be designed and built by me. And it will be perfect. What a future hope to hold on to, especially for us who are a little on the older side of the tent side, is a little older and worn out. I hold on to that every day when I snap, crackle, pop. Lord, please keep the tent up until you take me home. You know, that's all I ask. We also see in verse 5 that Paul had a present help, not only a future hope, but a present help by the Holy Spirit himself because he says those of you who trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior will be given the Holy Spirit and you'll be sealed for eternity. You have the power of God living within you, the, the living Christ living inside you to seal you for eternity. That is an incredible help. So if you don't know where to turn in for your help today, you don't have to look to your left or to your right. You just have to call out the, the mighty name of God. He's right there with you. And that, that present help of the Holy Spirit is what brings you through. Because it's that promise, as we see in verse 5, that seal of eternity that is like a ring, uh, an engagement ring. God has put a ring on your finger and says, This is to show that I'm coming back for you as my bride. No worries. I've set someone to help you until I come back and bring you home to me. What a promise you can hold on to, regardless of the storms you find yourself in, regardless of what you think is going to happen in your future and the uncertainty. You can hold on to a very bright future of hope that God is going to come back and give you a new body and take you home, but he also is going to come back to you because you're his bride and he is not going to let you the third thing we saw that Paul's confidence, motivation and, and to continue to faithfully serve his, their, his Lord, was the confidence in our walk by faith, because the fact that we know in the presence, we will be in the presence of the Lord in heaven, verse eight. When we're absent from this body, we have a guarantee we know exactly where we're going once we leave this body and from this earth. There is no question in our minds. If there is a question in your mind, then you need to ask yourself, do I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Not a religious relationship. I'm not talking, oh, I go to Calvary Chapel and that's why I know I'm going to heaven. Oh, no, 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 no. That's nowhere in the scripture. Oh, I was born and I was baptized as a baby and I was. De- no, 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 no. That's not scriptural. Those who put their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior will be forgiven of their sins and have eternal life, the Bible says. It's by faith alone, in Christ alone, and there is no other way. And when that happens, you know when you're absent from this body, you will be where? In the presence of your Lord and Savior with a new body, with a glorious future, with no more worries, pain, suffering. It's going to be a great thing. The next thing he saw in verse 9 is the goal in life. Paul's goal in life, or he refers to it in verse 9, his aim was what? Every day he woke up, his aim was what? Is to please God. Please God in what he thinks, what he says, what he does, how he treats other people. God, does that please you? No. Then you stop immediately. How do I stop, Corey? I can't stop myself. And then cry out and ask God because he, if you're a child of God, the Holy Spirit empowers you within to stop. You must cry out to him and ask for the help, and he will help you. The Bible also reassures us that he gives you a way out. In any situation you find yourself, good or, you know, in good, great. But in bad, he gives you a way out. He keeps you from the, you know, from sinning. Temptation will come. But he'll empower you to keep you from sinning and get you out of, of, out of uh, the situations that you need to be out of. But pleasing God every day was Paul's aim. In verse 10, we see one more. The receipt of rewards. He knew that every person, every one of us are going to go to heaven and you are going to be faced, Jesus, face to face. And as believers, Paul knew where we were going to the judgment seat, or the, what we refer to as the Bema seat. And that is where we will be given account for everything we've done as a believer. Good or bad, you'll be held accountable, and you will be rewarded for the things that you did with the right motive, with the right heart. And the things that you thought were really great, I gave my million dollars every year because I had a little extra But it wasn't done with the right heart, you will receive zero rewards from the from the Lord. But you were so faithful in cleaning the toilets, and no one knew it. And you just faithfully did it because you knew that was pleasing of the Lord. That's what the Lord had put on your heart to do. People just took it for granted. They were clean toilets every time you came to church. And when that person gets to heaven, what did you do for the Lord? I didn't really do anything, Lord. I couldn't do anything other than clean the toilets for your people. He says, cha-ching, man, the rewards are coming to you. Why? Because you're with the right heart and you're faithful. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. See, it's not, it's about the inward, the heart, not the outward. So Paul was motivated by the receipt of rewards that would happen when he appeared in front of the judgment seat, the Bema seat, not to be judged for our sins. That's already been judged. We've already been forgiven of our sins. That's been wiped away by his blood. We are as white as snow. That is not what we're talking here. That's the great white throne. Judgment is for the non-believers who do not put their trust in Jesus Christ. That is their judgment, and they will be judged for their sins. But for us as believers... We've been forgiven now by our Lord for our sins because we've asked, Lord, I'm a wicked sinner. Come into my life and save me. Wipe away these sins, please. I believe and trust in you and I will follow you the rest of my life. And then right in those, that twinkling of an eye, you're forgiven and sealed with the Holy Spirit for eternity. <laughs> what a great motive, promise. What a way to wake up every morning and know that you're forgiven and you're just wanting to please your lord and just be about his business wherever he takes you what a great thing that paul understood and in verse 11 he says there paul knowing therefore the terror of the lord so we see another one a sixth reason why paul was motivated by the terror of the lord not the fact that the lord was coming back he hadn't had the fear of the lord because he was going to be judged The terror of the Lord or the fear of the Lord was the fact that he understood what was going to happen to those who had not given their life to Christ yet. So he understood the terror of the Lord. So he says we persuade men. That's what motivated him every day. He knew there were brothers or sisters or neighbors or coworkers, people around him who did not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And he motivated him. Because of the fact that they were going to be judged, that they went out to share the good news that they could, did not have to be judged. They could be saved and receive salvation, the free gift from God. That's what motivated him. Knowing that this world was going to hell, and if he didn't go out and do his part and persuade people to know the good news of who Jesus Christ is, that he couldn't sleep without doing that. It motivated him. Knowing that that was the right thing and good thing to do. He had the desire to reach others. And I do hope that's your desire as well. That you recognize that that wonderful free gift of salvation you received. That it will motivate you and me to go out and reach others that do not know that truth. I pray that it is. Because it certainly was Paul's. And he certainly, Paul, was teaching those believers in Corinth. Now we pick up here in verse 12. It says, for we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf, that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. So one of the problems that the Corinthian believers had was that they... They liked those who, and they glorified and they paid attention to, those on the outwardly religious view. Look at this religious person. Look at how they're clothed and how they carry themselves. Oh, don't they seem so holy the way they talk and the way they carry this in themselves? But Paul was saying to him, it is not about the appearance. It's not the outward that we watch and look. It's about the inward is what we see. That is what we're looking at. What comes out of their mouth? What comes out of their actions? What are they they doing? Not what they look like. And Paul says, if you look on the outwardly, you would look at me, Paul. You would look at me and say, I have nothing to offer. The man was beaten. He was probably limping and and scarred and all kinds because of the beatings and the stoning that he went through. For his faith in Jesus Christ of sharing the good news to those around him. He had such a burden for his people, the Jewish people. He had such a burden for the Gentiles. That's where God sent him out. But these people didn't receive him. But why should we be surprised? Because people did not receive Jesus when he was here on this earth. So why would we go out there representing Jesus? Think you're going to be received so freely. Without persecution Without challenges, without testings, and without physical and mental challenges. And so he says, yes, you can look at my life. And if you look at my life, how can you glory in this look? Because I'm pretty messed up outwardly. Some of us can sit there and say, I don't look very good. outside Because the drugs have really taken a toll on me. The alcohol has really taken a toll on me. My loose lifestyle sleeping around has taken a toll on me. My stress and anxiety and worries, because I worry all the time, has taken a, te- a, a, a toll on this tent. So, of course, people have a tendency to look, oh, he looks good. She looks good. She smells good. She looks, like, oh, that's the person we're going to bet on that he's going to take us to the hill. So many times in the Christian world, you see this little old janitor has been serving faithfully for 20 years doing what he's called to do and and comes to the lord after at the age of 7 he is like no one really oh that's interesting but pays no attention he's worn out physically been you know really worn out over the years of doing janitorial work but all of a sudden this young person and a celebrity and a singer and from hollywood and you, this person says oh yeah like jesus and it makes headlines. Why is that? Because like Paul says, everyone looks on the outward appearance and not on the inward heart. Paul says, no, no, no. We don't commend ourselves. We don't draw attention to ourselves and what God has called me to do. It's not what I'm trying to do. We're giving you opportunity to boast on our behalf. Look what God has brought me through this. Three shipwrecks. Don't you think that's a pretty cool thing to tell other people what God is faithful to bring me through? Three shipwrecks? That people stoned me and did all kinds of things against me and God has still preserved my life to continue to faithfully do. Don't you think that you could use that to boast of the power of God in one's person's life? I'm encouraged by this statement in verse 12 because he says, Because I know that God has taken you and your own story through something that's so unique that no one out of us can talk about. I can't talk about drugs. I didn't do drugs. That wasn't my sin. But some of us has, has drugs. That God can use your life and say, look what God has done through your life and re- free you from the drugs. And that will speak to thousands Someone was greed and had so much money, and that was their sin. But then they freed them from that, and now God can use that to speak to others that have that same problem. So Paul says, I don't commend ourselves. It's not what I look like. It's not you the opportunity to bring attention to me. I'm saying it should be an opportunity to boast on our behalf, your behalf. The fact that, the fact that God is working through, and it's not about the appearance. It's, 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 it's really about the heart here. Paul's opponents was always looking and saying, look at Paul's life. Is he really doing what God's, do, you know, God's work? Because look at all these failures he's got in his life. Look at all these troubles that seem to be in his life. Look at all these weaknesses, uh, physically weakness in, in terms of the natural view of what he looks like. He must have just failed miserably in life. But Paul emphasized what? We live by faith and not by sight. We live by faith, not by sight. Remember, the Lord said to Samuel, in 1 Samuel 16, 7, Lord does not see as a man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the Does the Lord see in your heart today? Because we're so easily impressed by a person's image that we often do not see or care about their substance. We care about their substance. Why? Because you know and I know God has transformed you. You were empty, now you have substance. You have something to share. Because God has given you a message to share. It's a beautiful thing. In verse 13, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we're beside ourselves, if we are crazy, if we're irrational thinking right now, if you think the way I live my life in ministry, Paul says, is crazy or beside ourselves, it is for God is why we do it or if we are of sound mind it seems like you have got my life together and everything seems to be going really smoothly it is for you see Paul understood people you know sometimes they look and say why don't you do the way like the rest of the world does you're crazy why would you give up your sundays when you can have a sports day you know all day long why would you say no to to drinking when you know it's going to destroy your life and your kid's life. Why would you say no when everyone else is out there having a merry, good old time? I mean, there's some things that people look at your life as a Christian and say, you're irrational, you're crazy. Why do you do the things that you do? Because they are blinded to the things of the truth. And why God says a lot. many things actually harm you. And he's trying to prevent us from harming ourselves. But here Paul's enemies said he was crazy because his irrational behavior where how many people would, after being stoned, would go back in and start preaching the gospel again? After one shipwreck, how many people would would go get on another ship? You know, so people think you're irrational in the way you think and in what you do. But Paul understood this. He was crazy when he was a um a, a jew and he was part of the, the 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 council and he was out there persecuting those who were following jesus then he knew he was crazy acts 26 11. he knew that as he was out there persecuting the church those believers following jesus he knew then he was crazy he was going against god himself he understood he was crazy then But his enemies thought he was crazy because as a believer, why would you give up such a beautiful position, great money, and sit there and you're you're worshipped by all the Jews because you were this high priest, and why would you leave that and follow Jesus of Nazareth? People think he was crazy. but Paul didn't get moved or stopped by the criticism of others. And we too must ignore the criticism of men. And we must be about our father's business because that's what God has called us and empowering us to do. See, remember, in being accused of being Crazy, Irrational? Paul is in great company, because we see in the scripture that Jesus was also accused of being out of his mind, Mark 3:21 and John 10:20. Paul was Christ-like in his actions and going out and continuing to do regardless of the challenges that he faced. He was in great company, and may you and I also be accused of being crazy because we're out and about being like our Savior. In verse 14, for the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one, and your Bible should have a capital O for deity, if one died for all, then all died. So Paul says, you know what it is? The love of Christ compels us why do I get up and what motivates me to continue to do what God's called me to do because of the love of Christ not the love for Christ get the words here the love of Christ not the love for Christ what's the difference the love for Christ is us saying I love you Lord but that's what will only will motivate you so much. What you need to understand, like Paul, what motivates you is the fact that what made it motivate you is the fact that God first loved you. You love Him because He first loved you. 1 John four, four nineteen. So Paul says, I wake up every morning and remind myself, God, you love me. You died on the cross for me. You took the, my sins away from me. I'm no longer going to be judged, but I have life. I've been adopted into your family. You love me beyond I can even comprehend days. And because of that, my response is, is I just want to please you and love you. I want to wake up my life and dedicate my life to you. That's what propelled Paul. The love of Christ. And when that love of Christ fills your life, your response is not only to love him personally, but then you will have a love like Paul and you will have a love for others. So you can always tell someone who is truly born again is because they'll talk about the love that God has for them. They'll talk about the love they have for God. But they will also talk about and do things for the love of others. Not for themselves. It's easy to love yourself. But it's, you have to die yourself for you to go out and love others. That's, that's the fruit that comes from a life that lives according to relationship with Christ. Is you will have a love that goes beyond God's love is so incredible. Because when you have this love, you understand that the old life that you live no longer holds you down today. He loved us when we were unloving. Jesus loved us when we were just sinners and enemies against him. God loved us so much He's wanted, he wanted so much for us. He was willing to come and die on the cross for our sins to be able to be reconciled, to be able to have a relationship with you, personally. He loved us so much that he not only died on that cross, but he proved it to the world, John 3, 16. He proved it to the church as a whole, Ephesians 5, 25. But never forget that he came to personally die for you. And you see that in Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. He came to die for individuals. And that's what propels Paul. To be faithful in the ministry because he personalizes it and knows that God loves him. And he understood this. Why? Because he was the one out there persecuting and going against Jesus. He was the one that was personally going out and killing believers, the church. He, He personally was going out individually after one after another until God got a hold of him on the road of Damascus. And then God revealed to him personally to him how much God loves him and that's when his life was changed so the question might come up to you how can you have a fear of the Lord and have a love of Christ in our heart at the same time well if you're a parent you understand this it's like a heart of a child who loves their parents, but they also at the same time respect them and their authority they have over them. You can have a healthy fear of mom and dad and at the same time love them beyond words. It's the same thing with our personal relationship with our father. We know who our father is at the same time have a love for him because he first loved us verse 15 and he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves but for him who died for them and rose again see Paul understood that he had to be reminded daily that God died for all he came to die for the sin of the world. He wanted no one to perish. No one to go to hell. He wanted to be able to give them a way, A bridge to a relationship with the Father. And there was only one way that was going to happen. And that's God's way. And that way was to, God to send his only begotten son. Jesus Christ to this earth. To take on a body like you and I. So that he would go to the cross and die for the sin of the world. And anyone who believes in him shall not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. It's a belief. But Paul understood that he, God, Jesus died for all, that those who live, those who put their trust in Jesus Christ, would no longer what? Live for themselves, but for him, capital H, for Jesus, who died for them. And, key word, and rose again. Why is that important? Why did Paul say, and rose again? Why did he make that emphasis? It's because if your God is dead and is still dead, what good is that God for you? How's Buddha helping out these days? How's Muhammad helping out these days? Go down the litany of all of the gods out there that are dead, that are not alive. But our God, Jesus Christ, is alive. He is dead for three days, but God raised him from the dead, and he now sits at the right hand of the Father and intercedes for you and wants that relationship with you personally. That's why Paul says we don't live for them ourselves. Here's our God who was willing to die for our sins, take the penalty for our sins, and is alive and interacting and communicating with you. Why would you live for yourselves anymore except live for him only? Because he's alive. Why would you worship and follow a dead God? You wouldn't. You would be beside yourself, wouldn't you, if you did that? That's irrational to worship a dead God, an idol. Why would you do that? Well, we don't worship dead idols. We worship a living God. That is why we have such joy. But the question is, is why did Jesus die for all? His death is able to save all who will come to him and is demonstrated of God's love to all but not in the same sense that we see in the false teaching that's going on today so many people today called universalism says God died for all that means everyone's accepted and everyone gets to go to heaven and you don't you can live however you want to live and you can you can behave and act and worship anything in every way you want you all get to go to heaven universalism that's false teaching it's only for those who put their trust in Jesus Christ alone that promise this is for. And we'll see, Paul's going to flush this out here. Because he says, this is good news for you and I because we don't have to live for ourselves. Because the good news is that not, we not only died with Christ, but we also were raised with him that we might walk in newness of life, Romans 6, 4. And because we have died with Christ, we can overcome sin in our life. And because we live with Christ, we can bear fruit for God's glory, Romans 7, 4. And he died that we might live through him, 1 John 4, 9. See, we have eternal life. Through faith in Jesus Christ and experience the gift of salvation. But he died that we might live for him and not for ourselves any longer. Prior to coming to Christ, you did nothing but live for yourself. It was always about yourself. But when you died with Christ, in Christ, you're now, it's all about him and not about you. See, if a lost sinner had been to the cross and been saved, how can we spend the rest of our life in selfishness? If you really see yourself in front of that cross and know that Jesus died for your sins personally, how can you and I turn around and say, thank you, God, but then turn around and live selfishly? How can we do that? If you really understood that Jesus died for you, we can't. It's only a matter of time we realize and recognize we have to die of self, pick up our cross, and continue to follow him. Because of Calvary, because of the cross, believers are now going to heaven to live with Christ forever. Verse 16, Therefore, from now on we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Our new relationship to Christ is, had brought us to a new relationship to the world and to the people around us. We no longer look at life the way we used to. If you are born again, you see things so differently than prior to coming to Christ. I, For me, I remember the time when I got saved. All of a sudden, I saw colors and the mountains and flowers, things I never could care, paid attention to. And now I'm like, wow, look at that sunset. Look at the sunrise. Look at the colors. of. The-. I mean, we saw, I saw nature completely different. I did, now it's not about what can I get from the world. Now the question is, what can I do to help this world? It's no longer how can I use that person to get my agenda to finish what I want to do to make more money and get where I want to be. No, no longer do I use people to climb. Now it's like, how can I help people lift them up? Completely different look for me. Now, you might be something different. You might have a different, but it will no longer be about you and about how you're going to get the best out of this life, knowing that the best is yet to come in heaven. The question is, what do you do with your life according to what God's called you to do? That's why he says, therefore, we don't go no longer according to the flesh. I don't look on the outside to the people and look at what they look like and judge them. I can see the most devastated body outwardly and that just drives me of compassion to say how can I help that man not avoid the man and get on the other side of the street but how can I have a move with a heart of compassion like my lord and have a heart of compassion knowing that they need to hear the good news of salvation See, as a result of the conversion of Paul, Paul no longer evaluated people on the basis of the externals. He understood that, right? He looked at the external. Are you you part of the way? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Yes. Okay, I'm going to kill you. That's how he used to look. Now he's out there actually almost being killed multiple times to reach the people. See what one of the things of confusions I think this happens many times is sometimes people think just because I've got some information about Jesus that's all I need. But just information about Jesus cannot transform a person from a self-centeredness to a selfless life. Only conversion only being born again by the Spirit can affect one's life as it did to Paul. See, to know Christ according to the flesh means to evaluate him from a human point of view. What God has called us as believers is no longer judge people by a human's point of view, but to look at people and say, God, you created that person, you died for that person, what can I do to help that person? Lord, empower me and give me your word to help share and give hope and a promise to that person that has no hope. See, that's the conversion for us. That's the change life for us, is to reach the loss. Verse 17, he continues, he says, therefore, again, therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That is probably one of the most quoted scriptures for us. Because when you first get saved, you're still struggling between the spirit and the flesh, the old ways and the new ways. But you need to understand what the scripture says and hold on to this truth. And the fact that because you are in Christ, because you put your trust in Jesus Christ as your savior, you're a new creation. You're not a half and half. You're not the old and the new. Yes, we have the old tent still. But you're a new creation. Old things have passed away. He has freed you from those things. You don't no longer have to walk in those ways. You have new ways of walking. And if because of the new ways, it's going to be new, it's going to be different. Don't try to find the old life and and put some veneer or mask around it and say, okay, I want to continue to do what I've always done, but now I have fire insurance. No, 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 no. That's not how it works. You're going to have a new creation. Not just something that's been remodeled, but completely new. And he's done it. You can't do anything to it. You just have to receive it. Understand you have victory. Understand you have our new creation in Christ. Now just live it. Just live it. And behold, all things have become new. To be in Christ is to be a new creation. This new creation is brought about by the Holy Spirit, the agent of regeneration, Titus 3.5, the giver of divine birth, John 3.3. And because of this new life of devotion to Jesus results in what? New attitudes and actions by you and me. Verse 18, Paul says, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So another motivation here is not only even the new creation that motivated Paul, but the fact that we're reconciled to God. We can now have a personal relationship with God himself, God the Father. The question is here, you should be asking, is what is the ministry of reconciliation for you and I? That is to persuade sinners to be reconciled to God. To persuade sinners that you can have a personal relationship with God Almighty. Paul said, all I live for is to persuade people to understand. You now have a way to have a personal relationship with God. You don't go through a priest. You don't go through some some position and kneeling and praying a certain way to the east or to the west or looking at your navel and meditating. None of that's going to help you. But having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is the bridge over the gap between God the Father and man. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by him, Jesus Christ. There is no other way to have a relationship with God. So Paul is sitting here and saying, God has done his part. He's reconciled. He didn't have to reconcile with man, but he chose. He loves you so much. He created you. He reconciled by sending his only begotten son pay for the penalty of the sins of the world. He's there. Now man has their part. Will you and I choose to receive or choose to follow, trust Jesus Christ as the way? Or do you think you're going to do it? Man tries. It's called religion. Religion is is this man's weak attempt to be reconciled to God in their own efforts and ways which will fail. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So if you think you can pray pray more, read more, give more, fellowship more, I, but I'm going I'm to really work hard today and I'm going to get rid of everything I've ever done bad. And, I'm gonna, and you think you can earn your way to heaven, you, you do not understand the scriptures. There is no other way except putting your, your trust in Jesus Christ and follow him. And you should be saved. because of rebellion, man was the enemy of God. Man was out of fellowship with God. Man, for a period of time, had to go through of an appointed man by God to have the ability to have their sins at least covered for a time through sacrifice. But when Jesus came, he became our sacrifice. And the question is, do you believe that? Do you trust in his sacrifice? God didn't come to put impute our, in their trespasses to it. He didn't come to sit there and say, I'm going to come down and I'm going to levy something really heavy on you because of all of your sins. He says, no, I'm going to actually send my son, the person who will reconcile you, To me, which is my son, Jesus Christ. He is the only way, the place, and he will reconcile us to his cross. We must come to the cross and ask for forgiveness of your sins. And because of Christ's death on the cross makes, makes it possible for human reconciliation to God. Because the world needs to be saved. It needs to be reconciled to God. What a promise in John 3.17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him, Jesus Christ, might be saved. See, when Jesus went to the cross, all of our sins were imputed to him. All of our sins were placed on his shoulders. It was put on his account. God literally took all of your sins that you are going to be judged, that you are going to have to pay for, took them out of your account and placed it on his own son's account. And then when Jesus died, it paid, that sacrifice, the the sinless lamb, the spotless lamb, died on on the cross, took his blood, took all the sins of the world away. Because Jesus was willing to do that for you and for me. He was treated by his, the Father, God the Father, as though he had actually committed those sins that you and I did. And said, I will, I will impute them into the account of my son. But here's even the grace not only did he take your sins out of your account and put them on his son but when he died and he paid for those he turned around and put back in your account the righteousness of God. That's grace because we don't deserve it. You can't earn it. But God loves you that much that he would make you right because of his son. Verse 20. Now then. Now knowing all of this, Paul sits there and says, it kind of brings in the last motive for him. And it should motivate us as well. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God. You've been forgiven. You've been made righteous. You've been justified like as you've never sinned before. You're on a path to be glorified with a new body, with a new, you're a new creation. So much to be motivated by every single day you wake up. Now, Paul says, we're just ambassadors of Christ. We're just We're just representatives. What is an ambassador? An ambassador is someone who goes to a foreign land and speaks on behalf of the land that they're from. And when that ambassador goes to a foreign land and when he or she opens their mouth and starts speaking, they only say what was given to them by the leader of the land they come from. They don't add and take away whatever they want to say. They represent their home. That's what an ambassador is. So for us, Paul is saying, and as an ambassador, we are now ambassadors for Christ. And we are to go out and plead and plead for people to be reconciled to God. That is our message as an ambassador. What do you want me to do for today for you today, Lord? You gave me a new day. I'm an ambassador. I'm going to go out and I'm just going to plead with people to be reconciled with you. Share the good news that Jesus Christ came so that you could be You could have a personal relationship with God Almighty if you would just put your trust in Jesus Christ. You want to know what your ministry is every day? Do you know what your mission is every day? Do you know what your purpose in life as a believer in Jesus Christ is every day? To go out and continue to share the good news and plead with people on behalf of being reconciled to God Almighty. And if you've decided to follow Jesus, you are an ambassador. You're an ambassador of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We represent Jesus Christ in our day-to-day actions. John 20, 21 and 2 Corinthians 4, 5. And if sinners, if the world rejects us, it rejects your message of reconciliation with God, the fact that they need Jesus Christ in their life, that they reject you, don't worry. They're not rejecting you, they're rejecting Jesus Christ Himself. You're just representing your King of Kings. You're just representing your King the King of Kings. And there's nothing embarrassing about being an ambassador for Christ. He has sent us into the world to declare peace and not war. God has not declared war on the world. At the cross, he declared peace. It is finished. But one day he will declare war, as we know. One day he will declare war on this fallen world. And it is too late For those who have rejected the Savior before he returns, and you can go back and read 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 3 through 10 for that. But Satan every day is constantly seeking to tear everyone apart in this world to divide and conquer. But Christ and His Church are involved in the ministry of reconciliation and encourage people. You can have a new life. You can be reconciled to God. You can have a hope and a prom future promise. You will receive a new body. You are going to be a, an ambassador for Christ. You have a you are be a, a child of God. You have the the the. the be given righteousness, you'll be made right. I mean, there's so many motivations that we have gone over, 11 of them just in this chapter uh, 5. But do you believe in those? Satan wants to have you not believe in those things. But we are in the ministry of reconciliation, bringing things back together again, back to God where it once originally believed. Verse 21, why, for he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So Paul summarized it for you and I and for the Corinthian believers. That Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us. And that becoming sin for us was our sins. That we may become the righteousness of God. See, this is called the gift of grace. (laughs) Do you deserve that? That God Almighty would pay for the penalty of your sins. Do you deserve that? Absolutely not. But why did he do it? Because he loves you that much. He wants a relationship with you. And it's by his grace the gift of righteousness is is, is obtained only by faith, Romans 3.22. And so now, as believers, we go out and we're faithful. We go out and we faithfully share the good news, the message of the scripture. We are faithful as ambassadors for Christ And we share that good news. We don't share something we've created or what the world created or what that world offers. We just share what God has given us by his word. And we just faithfully do that. Waiting for his return to do what? To take us home. What a beautiful life we have. Is it easy? No, ask Paul. Is it going to be no challenges and no testings as a, as, a, as a Christian? No, go ask Paul. All God has asked us to do is take what he's given us and go out and faithfully share it until he returns. Serving our Lord, following him in the ministry is just, is simple, not always easy. if we are to be successful, we must be motivated. Like Paul, be motivated by the things he has taught us today. Meditate on the things that he's shown us today. And then choose for this day who you shall serve and who you shall follow. Let us pray.